you can go ahead and turn back to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I know we, we keep ending up in Acts chapter chapters 1 and 2, and I know we're trying to talk through this whole book of Acts, and I, I know we keep going back to the beginning, but it's like these couple of opening chapters are just so foundational to who we are as the church, how it is that we, we function as the church, the things that we do, the things that we believe. And you did so many, he just did so many amazing things in these first couple of chapters that we're going to have to just go back here again and just see these events that took place at the very beginning of the church when God was, was knitting us together and he was stitching us together as his people in a new way for the first time and the amazing things that he tried to, that he was, that he was doing. And, and I don't, I, I mean, this is, this has been a crazy week. We, I've, already, I've already prayed about it. I've already talked a little bit about it. We're going we're gonna to talk more about it as we go this morning. Uh, the things that are happening in our country, you can't, you can't, you can't miss them if you are online at all. Um, everyone is, 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 is mentioning the things that we're seeing happen. I mean, even in our state, uh, as, as, as close as in, as in Nashville, there are people breaking out windows and there's all sorts, and, and there's, there's so much divide over why people are acting the way they are and what, what the responses mean and what, what all of it is for and how we should as a society respond to this. And I think that's true for how we as the church should respond to this. We should be prepared to respond because this has been a crazy, crazy week. And, and, and this is not a new thing. This is not anything that we haven't experienced before. This is not something we haven't been experiencing in our society for the past... When did sin start? Right? This kind of, this kind of brother versus brother, human versus human, this, 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 this pushback. And, 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 and if you look around, all you see is anger, hurt, division, sadness, fear, all these different things that we're experiencing. And it's not, and it's not just in our country. It's, it's in all of creation. We're just seeing new demonstrations or, or I guess, reused old demonstrations of, of these sorts of emotions, these sorts of pushback against whatever your current position is. And we're going to talk more about the way that we as a society tend to position ourselves. We're going to talk a little bit about that and why I think it's important that we as the church be prepared to respond. But if there's one thing that we've seen throughout our whole study in Acts, it's that God is in control. He is the one who's in control. He is even using some of the seemingly worst, most painful things at times to accomplish his will. And, and I know, especially if you're in it, especially if you are one who is experiencing this, if you are one who is really feeling the, the pain that is associated with all that is going on in our country right now, if you are, whatever it is that you are feeling, it's, it's, it's real. And you may not want to hear right now me say, but God is in control and God is working something out. And I know that that's not something that we, we naturally want to receive as truth that we're ready to just love and praise and glorify him because of. But it's so important that we remember this because without it, then there is no hope. There is nothing that we're looking forward to. There is no promise of things getting better. But instead, we've been talking about how God is doing something even if if you look at like the city of Minneapolis right now, even with all of the tragedy that is happening in Minneapolis, and it is tragedy, and it is the result of sin, all of it, 
God is in control and God is doing something in it. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Again, because God is in control, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the week that we're talking about how one of the 10 ways that God built his church is he's building his church through unifying diverse people, bringing different groups of people together into the body of Christ is a key part of God's toolkit for building his church. And I think we can discuss this in a way that kind of looks at the big picture of how God works and why he works this way without it becoming just a discussion about commentary and opinion on the criminal justice system or specific actions that have kind of rekindled this big um, set of demonstrations and things that we're seeing. Like, I, I, we, we need to talk about it, but I don't think that our, it would be, we would be benefited by only saying, I'm going to give you these things that need to change in the criminal justice system and these things that need to change. I don't think that that's really going to help us as the church. I think I would rather look to Scripture and say, how does Scripture say that we as the church should speak? How should we be prepared to speak in times such as these? Because these times are nothing new. This is nothing that our world has not experienced before. Like I said, we've read in Acts chapter 2 almost every single week in this study, just because it's so foundational. Um, but but you got to think, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, right before he left, told his apostles, hey, I want you to go wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know what to do next, right? I, I will tell you what to do, when to do it. And you may be thinking, and I'm sure they were, they're like, let's go get this thing. Let's get after it. We're ready to go. Jesus is alive. Let's go. I mean, they're saying, is it time to restore your kingdom? Like, no, it's time for you to go wait. And we've talked about this, right? We started this whole series talking about waiting, waiting for God to move in a particular way, waiting for God to really set us up for the way that would be most glorifying to him and bring about the most success for us ultimately. And here's the thing. The timing could not have been more perfect when the Holy Spirit finally came and it was time for the church to go out and begin to minister. First thought this morning is that God was reuniting what he had separated. And I want to talk about why I'm saying it that way, why he had separated those things. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. It says, now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and to visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So here's what I'm saying, and I'm going to make the point about God bringing together what he separated in just a second. When God began to build his church in Acts, he began to build it at the perfect time for a church to be built and spread throughout the world very quickly. Let's think about what the world looked like at this point in history, right? So you had had, for a long time, you'd had the Greek Empire, which had taken over so much of the world at this point. 
And when the Greeks would, 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 would take over a new area, the first thing that they would do is they would, common, they, would, they would introduce this common language. They would introduce this common Greek language in that society so as to kind of reduce the amount of unique identity to the people that they were infiltrating. They were taking over because they wanted them to lose their, their culture. They wanted them to lose their society. They wanted them to lose their language so that they would become part of this greater society. And right after that, you had, you had Rome who overthrew the Greeks, and they set up their empire, and what was it that they did? They started building roads and highways that connected all of these cities together because they wanted to increase their amount of trade so that they could bring in more wealth for themselves. But, but both of these things working together only served to create a culture that was able to communicate quickly and get from one place to another quickly and efficiently which if you're asking, what's the best way to start a movement? You'd need to be able to get places quickly and speak to a lot of people quickly. And what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 is those roads, all of that, those highways that made it convenient for people to come together, they had come together for Pentecost. All these people from all around the world, all around the region had come together from different places where they had still some different languages and they had some different cultural backgrounds and they had some different, different opinions about how things work. I wonder if you can hear... I wonder if you can hear fire trucks over live stream. Somebody let me know. Anyways, sorry, I got distracted. But you had this whole place that was able to bring all of these people together. And that's the day, the day that everyone came together with all their own, all their own languages, all their different cultures. That's the day that God sent the Holy Spirit. That's the day that God gave them the ability to speak and all of these languages be understood. That was the day that God was bringing them back together in this way. God was setting them up for success, just like he had, he had kind of primed the world for a church explosion. He had, he had set this up. He was ready. And this is why sometimes when God tells us to wait, it's because he's got a better plan for how we should start, what we should do next, what that next step is that we're supposed to take. But think about what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. All of these people with all of these different languages coming together and God unifying the communication between them. This is the opposite of what happened. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 11. The last time we see God really influencing a great deal of languages was in Genesis chapter 11. What was happening in Genesis chapter 11? Well, all the people had been commanded by God. When God created man, he said, go fill the earth multiply, subdue the whole earth, have dominion over it. And what had they done? Got really close together and they said, we're going to build us a tower so that we seem more impressive than God, as we are prone to do. Try to make ourselves look really good. But, but in Acts chapter 11, here's, here's what God's response was. I'm going to start in verse 6. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. The last time we really see God taking an active role in the way that we communicate with one another was he was separating us. He was spreading us out. He was sending us to the far reaches of the earth. He was sending us far, far away so that he could at some 
better time, at a time when it wasn't going to be, look at us coming together because of our power, coming together because of our might, right? He said, I'm going to bring you back together on my terms. I'm going to demonstrate my ability to unify you together. And that's what we saw in Acts chapter 2 for the first time since Genesis 11 when he said, you guys got to break this thing up. Acts chapter 2 is where he says, all right, it's time to start getting the band back together. It's time for us to start being together again. As a demonstration of, again, because we read, we read a lot, we've read a lot of Peter's sermon up to this point. We read some more of it last week. Because that's the demonstration of the completed work of Christ. The completed work of Christ is what brings us back together. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because, because how does the, yes, this is God bringing together all of these different cultures. This is God bringing back together all of these different languages, all of these different societies, all of these different races, and bringing them back together and saying, I now through the power of my Holy Spirit am, am uniting you. But this was a major cultural shift for the leaders of the church. Because you have to think, up until this point, throughout the history of being God's chosen people, you were God's chosen people because you were from one particular nation. You were from one particular people group. And yes, we who have gone back and looked at what God promised and what it was that he said, we've seen that God said, ultimately my goal for my people is that they, they bring glory to me throughout the whole earth. We're going to be a blessing to all the people, all the nations of the world. We, we see that, but they had missed that so much in their society that this was a, this was a very difficult idea for them to accomplish. To, to really wrap their brains around. And we're going to look at one experience that Peter had in this. You can go ahead and start turning toward Acts chapter 10. Uh, but the next point that I want to make is that nothing is clean unless God makes it clean. Nothing is unified unless God unifies it. So if you're in Acts chapter 10, Peter was, was, was going off to sit at somebody's house and he was just going to go take a break, go sit down, have a little rest. And then in Acts chapter 10, I'm going to read, I'm going to go read this whole story. Acts 9 through 20. Acts 10, 9 through 20. It says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came to him a voice, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Just to give you a little bit more context, these men who had come were Gentiles. They were representing a Gentile leader who had, who had sent for Peter to come and pray and bring healing to his family. And Peter's having this vision 
where God lowers down this, this, this sheet and says, here's some food, I want you to eat it. And it's all of these things that traditionally, societally, culturally, they weren't supposed to touch. And Peter said, no, I'm going to keep myself clean. I'm going to stay away from them. And he didn't understand why it was that God was saying these things. And he said to him three times, Peter, Peter with three time messages from God, it just it doesn't always seem to work so well for him, right? But, but what is it that he says? He says, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. And eventually God took it up and he was confused. Like, why is God teaching me this? Because immediately after that, Peter was going to be called to go and minister to the Gentiles who his culture had traditionally felt were not people that God was going to use. That they, that they were, to quote what he would write later on, they were a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He had missed the point. This is, this, is a, this, is a, this is a huge change, a huge shift in the culture, what God was calling them to. It was that time where, just like God had promised at the beginning, that the blessing for Abraham was going to be for all the nations. This was where God was really tangibly starting to ramp that up and make that so much more important for them. It was a struggle for Peter to understand because this was so different from what he had known his whole life. His whole culture, everything that he had grown up in, this was a new thing. And, and, and I want to make a point. This doesn't mean it wasn't right for Peter to ignore what God was saying in that vision. I'm not trying to justify, well, he was raised that way, so therefore he's not in sin for disobeying God in this vision. Because we see he did immediately get up and go and follow these guys. And we're going to continue reading this story a little bit more in just a second. But I don't want us to... I mean, it's like, look at how dumb Peter is. Because we do that, right? Look, he didn't get it. God gave him three chances, and he still didn't get it. And this is after he'd already denied Christ three times. You think he would see the repeating pattern here. But you have to think, this was his whole experience. This was all he had ever known. This was all he'd ever been taught. It shouldn't surprise us that this was a difficult thing for him to understand. And I think sometimes we fall into this trap of assuming you did the dumb thing, you did the wrong thing, you did the sinful thing, you don't get to come back from that. Or, or there's no way to justify, and I'm not saying that when I say justify, I don't mean make right or not sinful. I mean, we don't do a good job of understanding what it is that motivates us toward the sins that become present in our lives. We don't do a good job of, of hearing that story from other people. Think about every interaction that Peter had had recently with Gentiles. They had, they had arrested Jesus, beaten and mocked him, killed him. They continued to persecute them. Peter would, had already been arrested on multiple occasions at this point. Think about the things that he's working through as he's hearing this. I'm not saying he shouldn't have immediately understood that this was a vision from God saying, I'm changing the way these things work. I'm making things clean. But at the same time, we have to understand where it was that Peter was coming from. Because, because I think if you look at our society, there's a whole lot of misunderstanding of different people's backgrounds and experiences. And we don't do a good job of hearing what each other have experienced. And we don't do a good job of communicating our lack of understanding or are, are not good at voicing our position or our experience in a way that leads to actual communication and fostering community and oneness. 
Because here's the thing. Even after knowing all of these things, Peter would go and he would minister to these people and God would save this whole man's household. And, and just listen, Acts 11, verses 2 and 3. This is what Peter said when he was speaking to them. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. I'm coming back to what Peter said. First, Peter continued to face backlash of this. When he got back after ministering to this guy, he came back. And you know what all of the religious folks around said to him? You know what the people said to him? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, this is Acts 11, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The people that were around him didn't understand why it was that he was acting the way he did. They were criticizing. He was facing pushback. And now I want to look at their experience, because it seems so cut and dry, right, to say those guys were wrong. They were. They were just wrong, and we should just move on from them. And we always do that, right? We say, those guys were fools. Ignore them. Don't be like them. I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to say, don't go minister to people that are different from you. I don't want you to say, hold on to these grudges and these preconceived notions about people that have a different experience or a different background, from you, or a different cultural, you know, different um, upbringing, whatever it may be. It seems so easy to just say these guys were wrong and just move on. And that's pretty much all you have to do in our society today on social media. You say, look at what this person said this one time. I found this tweet. They tweeted this 12 years ago before they hit puberty. Therefore, we should not treat them as human anymore. That's how we act. To voice the simplest explanation of your position doesn't require you to listen to their experience at all. To just say, that person's wrong, forget them, doesn't require anything of us to say, why would somebody believe this thing? Why would somebody behave in this way? Why would somebody practice this thing? Many of us here at CRC have learned and and been trying to practice this thing called trauma-informed care, right? Where, where we're trying to understand the experiences that people have faced that, that, and not say, why did you do the thing that you did or why do you do what it is that you do, but rather ask people, what is it that has happened to you that has led you to this point? What is it in your experience that has gotten you there? Because we don't want people to continue in sin. I'm sure Peter didn't want the religious elites from his from his group, his circle, to continue to think that the church wasn't meant to go out and minister to the Gentiles. But what was motivating that action? Because, because if, he, if we don't understand why it is that they, where they were coming from, if you don't understand that their whole life they had been reading these promises by God that said, you have to practice this kind of holiness, you have to practice this kind of separation, you would understand why it would be harder to break from that. It doesn't mean they shouldn't, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't have these, that same kind of revelation in our society where we shouldn't be differentiating each other based on where we come from, what culture we're from, what race we are, what socioeconomic background we have. We shouldn't be separating ourselves that way, but, but we, should, we should, instead of just saying, that person's wrong, forget them. Why don't we do a better job of saying, what is it that's motivating us? And let us have this conversation where we, again, move towards some sort of actual, genuine reconciliation. 
real solution. Because the problem that we're facing in our current situation is there's just so much polarization. Thank you, Tim, for reminding me of the word polarization. Polarization meaning that we are so caught in these silos and we only listen, if we're, on, if we're on this side, we only listen to people that agree with us on this side. Same, if you're on this side, you only listen to people that are on this side and it only pulls us further and further away. We don't do a good job of listening to one another. We don't do a good job of saying, what is it that you are experiencing that I don't understand? And it only drives us further and further apart. And that's what this whole cancel culture that we live in right now is doing, where we just say, here's the way our culture would have treated Peter. I don't know how our culture would have treated Peter. Peter, God told you to eat these things. You said no. He even asked you three times. You said no. You're good for nothing. You can't minister anymore. Because I tweeted it. And now everybody knows. Look, 40,000 likes, 60,000 retweets. Peter, your ministry, done. Because by implying that he didn't want to eat unclean things, the more he was realized he was being faced with was a, are you willing to go and minister to people who are different from you? Do you want to see God unifying the, all the nations of the world, all the people of the world? But here's the thing, God does not cancel us. Right? Peter denies Christ three times. Jesus comes back to him, receives him, restores him, uses him in a mighty way. Now we get to see what Peter says while he's out ministering to these guys. Acts chapter 10. I'll give you a second to turn there. because I didn't have it marked. You got time. Because I think this is so important. This is what we need to see. This is the change in Peter, where he said, no, God, I've never touched anything unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. And then God says, no, no, no. You're going to go minister to this guy who's not a Jew. You're going to go to this other culture, and you're going to preach my name to them. Here's the understanding that Peter then got. I'm going to start in uh, verses 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 10. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Skip down to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. Do you see what's happening here? What's happening here is that that God is bringing all people together. God is uniting all people, and Peter's now beginning to see this. He's beginning to understand what it is that God was saying all along. Wow, 
God works with them the same way he works with us. Why wouldn't we treat them like everybody else? Why wouldn't we baptize them? They've got the Holy Spirit just like us. It's very similar to the conversation that we as the church ought to be having right now. Wow, that person is made in the image of God, just like me, just like you, just like that person. Everyone made in the image of God. We ought to treat them with the value that was bestowed upon them when God created them. No matter what their situation is, no matter what their background is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want, here's the point that I want to make. Because it's God bringing people together. I mean, think through what we said before. Nothing is clean unless God makes it clean. That's what he said, right? He said, anything that I have made clean is not, is no longer unclean. But if you think about it, that was true of, of the, of the animals that God was asking Peter to eat. But it was also true of Peter. Peter was once unclean and now filled with the Holy Spirit had been given a new purpose, a new hope, a new mission, a new life entirely. So God brings us all together and he makes us clean. There is no distinction between who the people of God are. There, there's not this, 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 this kind of artificial, well, you're this kind of Christian, you're this kind of Christian, and you're this kind of Christian. God is bringing all the people of the world together and uniting them. And this is, this is the lens that I think we as the church need to be looking through and speaking through. Because, yes, we can do a good job of speaking for justice in specific ways, but if our conversation about specific justice does not lead us to speaking of Jesus being the only solution, the conversation doesn't actually get resolved. The conversation doesn't ever actually change. We get, we get trapped in the cycle of talking about specific sins that are present. We get trapped in talking about the symptoms and not treating the cause. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. There is no superiority of one people group over another. And even further... And this is where I, I, I would hope that our conversation as the people of God would go. Our identity is no longer determined by where we come from, what trauma we've experienced in the past, how much money we make, what others think about us. Our identity isn't even in the sinful things that we've experienced around us, the our identity, if you are saved, if you are part of the family of God, our identity is in Christ. Our new identity is in Jesus. And we need to be reconciled to him as a society. We need to value the image of God in each other. For some of you, you may even need to value the image of God in yourself to know that you matter to know that God cares about you, to know that God knit you together in your mother's womb, to know that God has thinks specifically about you and that you have value and worth. 
No matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that you're experiencing, no matter what the traumatic and sinful things that have been happening in our world in the last couple of weeks, how those things have affected you, that does not change the value within you, and it should not change the way that you view other people. We as the church should be the best at practicing this. Because we have experienced being reconciled to Jesus. I'm going to read it. This is, this is the verse where we got our church name. This is, I, I, I don't know why we haven't memorized this passage as a church yet. Like, like why haven't we chosen this one? This, maybe this one's next. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our prayer as the church should not just be that people would behave differently in our culture. We shouldn't just want people to get along. We want, if we want people to truly be reconciled, the only hope for true reconciliation between one sinful human and another sinful human is to first be reconciled to our creator, Jesus. We have to, we, we can't say, well, you should just not be racist, or you should just not be vicious in your use of your authority. We can't just say, change your behavior. We need to say, change your understanding of who you are. Understand who Jesus is and what, what being in Christ actually means. If we don't first start with the gospel and we just try to modify people's behavior without getting at the core of what's really wrong, what are we actually doing? What are we going to actually accomplish? give you the answer. We're not going to accomplish much. It's not going to have any real lasting change if we just force people to behave a particular way or pray that people would just change their behavior. We as the church have the actual answer. We, we sang it. We have living hope. We have a direction to go. My timer ended like 10 minutes ago. But I just, so I know, I know I'm going long. I don't care. Because this is so important that we as the church understand this because we are the ones who have the answer. We are the ones who are being called upon to say, well, what is your thought on this? And I don't want your answer to be just so perfect and succinct that you can fit it into 140 characters. Because if you're doing that, you're not taking time to have conversations and listen and understand people. Let's go and sit with people. I know we can't really do that right now in the way that we have in the past. But hopefully soon, more and more, we're able to do that. I could go off on a whole tangent about how 
all of the, it's not surprising that we've kind of erupted into this place in our society because we haven't been able to be together in community, but that's, I think that's for next week. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that, that we are reconciled to Christ so that we can, can take up that ministry of reconciliation that he was talking about. Because our society needs reconciliation. They need to be brought back together. These behaviors need to change. But more than anything, they need Jesus.